ladies and gentlemen, we are back, we are back, we are back. I do apologize. So, uh, incidentally, this is going to be a late report, but welcome to the C-Report, uh, Wednesday, April 21st, and I am going to go through exactly everything that we just went through a few minutes ago, just double-checking all of my, uh, technical stuff here, and yes, we're good. You guys should be hearing me now on Foxhole app. Uh, I don't know what's going on, guys, but uh, we are very, uh, uh, very familiar, unfortunately, with the technical difficulties on our end, um, and uh, yeah, uh, totally unexplainable, but we got it going. I do apologize again, and thank you for hang hanging in there with us. Consequently, we will be running about 20 minutes late today because that just ate up some of our time, but again, uh, welcome to the C-Report. I am your host, Mr. C. It's good to be with you guys. Um, we are live on Foxhole and Twitch. I had to kill the Spreaker side. I think maybe that might have been what was doing it, but I just shut that thing down, uh, backed out of StreamYard and came back on in. All right, guys. So, all right. So what are we covering today? Uh, as you may be aware, we will be talking about some of the stuff going on over at Maricopa County and the um, audit that's going on today, because now we're seeing that there's a lot of opposition that is coming. And we expected it. We knew it was going to happen. Of course, there's going to be opposition to this audit by the liberals, the Dems, the uh, fascist socialists, and the progressives, and all of their ilk. Uh, we'll also be taking a trip to Houston, Texas, where they are shutting down, or uh, pardon me, they have shut down uh, one of these temporary migrant facilities um, this past weekend. It was an all-girl facility. That one's been shut down. We'll be taking a look at that, and we'll be wrapping up today's C-Report with a special report on a story that was brought to my attention that not many people are talking about, and... Um, if timeliness were uh, the issue here, and quite often, um, as, as the saying goes, timing is everything, we need to be on this story like last year. So uh, we'll be taking a trip over to Manhattan, Kansas, where they are building basically a plum island over there, and we're going to talk about... Um, uh, some of the things that uh, you guys may want to expect, especially if you're in Kansas, uh, you won't be in Kansas anymore if a Wuhan-type uh, lab is built there and something escapes from it. So we'll be taking a look at that in a minute. All right, and we're not doing a chat recap today because if you joined us uh, yesterday's episode, I actually got a chance to hang out in the chat room. So uh, we're not going to recap the chat. I had a great time hanging in with uh, some of my fellow foxholers there and, um, and listening to the words of our president as he had an interview over on Hannity and guys, I do apologize. I don't think I'm still tired. You know, I, I had a pretty good afternoon, but yesterday, I hope you couldn't tell I was just floored, you know, <laughs> like you would think, you would think that, uh, this earlier technical difficulty I just suffered was a part of that, but no, it's not. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and get underway since we're a little pressed for time, but you know what? I'm just going to take my time today. I apologize to any of the other programs, but, um, yeah, that, that time delay with no sound was something else. So let's go to Arizona, Arizona, where we're having the, uh, Maricopa County, audit. Well, it's not an audit of the Maricopa County, but it is an audit of the 2020 presidential election results that happened there in Maricopa County, as we covered on Monday night's episode where we were seeing um, evidence of voter election fraud all across the board throughout the United States of America. And we brought to you some of those hard stories uh, that that um, have come into the headlines and somehow have not been covered um, at, at large, you know, in, in places like the lamestream media as our president calls them, or the legacy media, as I like to call them, um, or just the mainstream media, good old mainstream media. You know, we know what that is, right? Um, now, we did have words from General Flynn this past weekend where he advised that, you know, um, non-existent organizations like Antifa um, might show up to disrupt this uh, whole audit process. And honestly, I would not be surprised if Antifa shows up. They might have, you know, Black Lives Matter showing up. They might be saying uh, to recount uh, or to do an audit is racist. Who knows? You know, but um, uh, most definitely we may want to expect these guys showing up to disrupt. Um, we had, uh, but we do see other opposition coming now in an article by the Gateway Pundit that came out today. Uh, he did mention the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, uh, and also mentioned how she was Soros-backed. Um, now, there was not a detail into what functions Miss Hobbs might uh, take uh, to try and derail or disrupt uh, the audit there in Maricopa County, which is set to start tomorrow. 
Um, but uh, he did definitely bring to the table that she is backed by Soros. Now, most of us know who George Soros is, and if we don't know who he is, we probably have heard his name, even in even in places like the legacy and the lamestream media. Uh, the name of George Soros has risen. You know, uh, I wouldn't say he's the cream of the crop, but you know, he's definitely risen to the top um, where people can identify this man as being the funder of a lot of these um, these left-wing organizations and also uh, the politicians who push that progressive or that liberal or that SJW kind of feeling, you know, and, uh, and he does this by means of many of his uh, 501c3 and 501c4 uh, nonprofit organizations where they just start funneling money into different, you know, organizations, businesses that he wants, that he knows will push his agenda. So we'll talk a little bit more about that but before we get into it, we also did see that there was um, some opposition coming from a man, a lawyer by the name of Mark Elias, Mark Elias, tomato, tomato, however you want to pronounce it. But Mark Elias, who is with the Perkins Coy Law Firm, has definitely gotten involved in um, trying to uh, derail this audit going on in Maricopa County. Now, Mark Elias, who was also the lawyer for Hillary Clinton... Um, him, he and his law firm have also received funds, um, even if it was by default or by a, a different type of organization. Uh, through George Soros, uh, and again, many of his nonprofit organizations. We'll, we'll look at that in just a sec. But uh, Mark Elias, again, the lawyer for Hillary Clinton. Uh, oh, yeah, and this is the, uh, <laughs> this is the Veterans uh, Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix where the audit is taking place. And uh, one thing we did not note on uh, the C Report on Monday is they have actually will be live streaming all the auditing procedures in this facility. They've brought in extra cameras. They brought in extra security. So like this should be a well like lit, I guess you could say, uh, in the light and transparent audits. Like I said, they will be um, live streaming or should be live streaming throughout the entire facility. Uh, they've set up cameras everywhere, apparently. So this way, the audit can remain in the light and in public view. Now on to Mark Elias and uh, what he's doing to try and um, curtail this audit. Uh, he released this um, uh, press release. Let me uh, expand that for you. Uh, Democracy Docket um, published uh, a Democracy Alert by Mark Elias. It says Arizona Republicans take outside money for partisan audit. In a truly hypocritical um, article, uh, Mark Elias writes, uh, Republicans in the Arizona State Senate are determined to carry on with yet another unnecessary audit of the Maricopa County 2020 election results. They've hired private firms to conduct the audit, including one led by a conspiracy theorist who has promoted Trump's big lie and other election fraud fantasies. And now the state Senate is accepting outside donations to fund the audit. Uh, mere days after Governor Doug Ducey signed new legislation banning private donations to county administrators to help support timely, safe, and secure elections, a uh, move Secretary of State Katie Hobbs said was to satisfy the conspiracy theorists within his own party. Point one of hypocrisy and just probably totally, uh, I would say, um, skewing, you know, the information that was given, uh, uh, that was ordered by Governor Doug Ducey. It says here, signed new legislation banning private donations to county administrators to help support timely, safe, and secure elections. That sounds more like it's a moving forward thing, like moving forward in order to support timely, safe, and secure elections. We will not accept outside donations, right? Um, but this is an audit of this isn't this is not to ensure timely safe and secure elections this is an audit you know mr uh knows how to play with words mark elias uh this is an audit of something in the past that needs to be done now um as i pointed out in monday's uh, report uh there was a there was this dude online that was talking about how it was hypocritical and how it totally just derails the entire effort because they're accepting outside funding and they're accepting donations and and he went on to go into this whole 
whole, you know, tirade about capitalism, just what you would expect from a, an overweight soy boy, right? So this guy was saying that uh, it was just invalid and it nulled everything out because they're using uh, state taxpayer money and then they're using outside people. Well, again, you know, the state of Arizona and everyone involved, they're the ones who did this audit. So how could they be involved in an independent audit? Like that makes no sense, right? So anyways, back to this article um, or this press release, it says the hypocrisy is shocking. Republicans claim that election administration is a government function and thus severely underfunded and overworked administrators should not be allowed to accept donations from nonprofits that would help them run elections smoothly. Uh, meanwhile, Republicans in the legislature are more than happy to accept private donations to fund their performative, potentially unconstitutional election audit in furtherance of the lie that there was widespread voter fraud in Arizona. I'll end it there. But then again, there, there again, you see that big point of hypocrisy when we're talking about Mark Elias, a man who uh, throughout his work has received received millions of dollars from George Soros through his nonprofit 501c3 and 501c4 organizations. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It's, it's so hypocritical. Of course, that's what we know are good old... We can always trust the liberals, the Dems, the progressives, fascist, socialists, and communists to be hypocrites. I mean, at least we know our enemy, right? Okay, and, and and the way that they use projection, man, like they are pros on it. They could write a book on how to project your sins on others. All right, let's take another look at, uh, or not another look, let's take a look at this um, this release. Now, this was a letter that uh, Perkins Coy, again, Mark Elias's law firm, as well as uh, Coppersmith, Brockleman Lawyers, and the Barton Mendoza Soda Lawyer Group, uh, through Protect Democracy, which again is another 501 one C three organization funded by George Soros. Uh, they sent this letter uh, to the Cyber Ninjas, Digital Discovery, Cipher, and Wake Technology Services. Now these are the, these are the independent auditors that are coming into uh, Phoenix, Arizona, to perform this audit. Now they sent this letter to them. It says here. Uh, let me go ahead and expand that for you guys. Uh, it says here, on behalf of the undersigned legal organizations, we have significant concerns that the tactics that your companies intend to utilize in your pr proposed review of the Maricopa County election results um, likely violate both federal and Arizona law. In particular, we understand that as part of the audit, Cyber Ninjas, in partnership with other companies, has agreed and plans to, among other things, knock on doors to confirm if valid voters actually lived at these stated addresses and validate that individuals that show, uh, that show as having voted in the 2020 general election match those individuals who believe they have cast a vote. So, uh, automatically here, you know, I know if I were to receive some type of, of communication on a legal letterhead with all of these, you know, uh, lawyers, and if you know who Perkins Coy is, and you know that that was Hillary, Hillary Clinton's lawyer, you know, I would probably be, I would see this as like a letter of like intimidation, really. Like, you know, it's not saying cease and desist. It's not saying that they broke the law. It's saying they likely broke the law. But come on, if you get, uh, if you get a documentation from lawyer, a law firms like this, would you not be intimidated? So I think this was really an intimidation tactic. Um, and again, this uh, this Mark Elias guy, this lawyer man, he um, he has a lot of connections. So like uh, uh, in the uh, democracy update that I just read to you, this one here, this that this letter went out to like. Um, his network of like progressive journalists and whatever uh, papers, newspapers they own, whatever websites, blogs that they own, so they could all start getting that talking point out there. And uh, Mark Elias apparently also has a vast network of other law firms um, who are in the progressive spectrum of things that he can just get them to uh, basically sick on the people that uh, or the situations that they need attention for whatever ends he has. So that's Mark Elias and Perkins Coy. Uh, just a little bit more about this, because, you know, we like bringing things into the sunlight at the Sea Report. We like getting a little bit of daylight on it. So let's, oh, let's take a look at this man. Now, this man looks like a mix between Carl Rove and Oogie Boogie. And uh, that is that is the man, Mark Elias. Uh, this is the guy from Perkins Coy. Uh, now, I keep saying that he's George Soros funded. George Soros funded, right? Uh, so according to, uh, let's see, according to the website in 
influencewatch.org in regards to this man, Mark Elias. Uh, it said that shortly before the 2016 election, and let me go ahead and shrink Oogie Boogie down. Um, it says, according, uh, shortly before the 2016 election, billionaire left-wing donor George Soros gave at least $5 million to Elias and his firm to challenge what left-wing activists alleged to be restrictions that deter Democrats and left-wing constituencies from voting, such as photo identification requirements at polling places. Huh. Makes you wonder where this whole talking point about photo IDs being racist may come from, right? It says in early 2017, Elias joined the board of Priorities USA as it was announced that the organization would begin focusing on similar work. So here we go again. A lot of Priorities USA. Let me take a note of that because maybe we'll look a little bit into it at the C Report. We'll find out exactly what this nonprofit is doing. Just like I would recommend you guys go and check out the Truman National Security Project and all of the Truman related things where you will find the this 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 den of progressives who are trying to take over the State Department. I mean, they've already got the paperwork out there. They've already got the manuals, the pamphlets. We talked about it in one of our episodes on the C Report back in March, um, where I think it was March 27th was the date where we did a whole expose on the Truman National Security Project. I highly recommend you guys go and take a look at that. But anyways, getting back to this uh, this monster here, this uh, this Mark Elias, um, it, it did say that uh, Soros also contributed $5 million to Priorities USA, the, uh, the latter organization that we just uh, talked about here. Um, that is a super PAC that worked during the 2018 election cycle. So you got to wonder exactly what these guys were up to. Now, another bit of a refresher on who this character is, this shady, shady character, um, this Mark Elias man who is the, uh, who was the uh, lawyer for Hillary Clinton. We may recall that Perkins Coy Law Firm and Mark Elias are the ones who were responsible for the discredited and failed Fusion GPS steel dossier that was used against then-candidate and now-president Donald Trump back in 2016 on behalf of the DNC and Hillary Clinton's campaign. And we all know that that was fake, phony, and false, not to steal the words from Dave of X-22, but... Um, and, and then it was, it was put into the public. So if you have any question, this man, Mark Elias, Karl Rove, and Oogie Boogie's love child himself is just probably one of the most wicked men in the world and definitely a bought out and uh, a sold out man. Uh, clearly this man sold his soul unless, unless in his soul he had no problem with doing what he did, then he just followed his heart. And unfortunately, that's not always a good thing if you're wicked. All right, enough about Mark Elias. So that's what's going on in Maricopa County. Now some other audit news we have uh, from the state of New Hampshire. Now, the state of New Hampshire is set to perform a forensic audit of the ballots and the results of the 2020 election. So this is some good news, guys. We're seeing this coming out more and more where we're going to have some good things coming to us. Uh, we see the people and the organizations who want and it's not even they may not even be patriotic. They just want fair, secure, safe elections that have the integrity that we would expect from a country like America, right? Okay, so uh, in uh, the uh, New Hampshire Granite Grok, uh, what a name for a newspaper, right? Um, they reported uh, here that uh, Senate Bill 43 was signed into law on April 12, 2021, and that is what triggered the forensic audit of the Wyndham ballots, Wyndham County ballots, and machines that were used in the November 2020 election, general elections. This is very exciting. It also triggered a 45-day clock that mandates the deadline for the audit to be completed. So once this gets underway, they have 45 days to complete the audit. Um, it says an audit that is necessary to determine the cause of the Wyndham incident. So what's the Wyndham incident? It says that 1,363 election day votes were changed after a hand recount of the state representative race nine days after the fact, and no one knows the cause of the discrepancy. 
Hmm, I wonder what the audit's going to find. And it says that has been troubling and unacceptable. What was more unacceptable was the secret process the Wyndham Board of Selectmen had initially defined for selecting the forensic analysts to perform the forensic audits. The big news was released at the beginning of the meeting. Uh, Chairman Ross McLeod announced the selectmen had decided it was more appropriate to forego their non-public secret meeting and choose their forensic analyst in public in the public view at next Monday's meeting. Uh, that decision was triggered by a considerable amount of public input and addressed concerns that the process should be transparent to reflect legislative intent. The uh, massive number of emails that were received by the town hall represented the enormous displeasure by the public. So again, uh, the public got involved here and it forced the hand of people to get involved in the state and the legislative duties that we put these people in place for when we elect them. So uh, that's some good news, guys. That's some good news. Goes to show. Start in your backyard. Get them going. City councilmen, find out when they meet. In San Antonio, it's every Thursday. Every third. Hmm, that's tomorrow. Anyways, okay, so let's go ahead and head on to the state of Georgia. We have some more news coming from the state of Georgia. It's like, again, uh, Georgia, Arizona, the among the top highly contested um, election um, fraud results, stuff that was going on there. So what's going on in Georgia? Uh, the headline at the Gateway Pundit read election integrity organization identifies 12,547 illegal votes were included in in Georgia's 2020 election results. So um, from the website lookaheadamerica.org, they reported on um, April 19th, uh, they, they, um, the Look Ahead America released a long-awaited Georgia report documenting the illegal ballots cast in states 2020 general election. So they've already, they've already done this report. The report is out. We'll take a look at it in just a sec. Um, Matt Brainerd of Look Ahead America, the executive director and the founder of Voter Integrity Project, made the following statement. We are very glad to release this report, and I could not be prouder of my team at Look Ahead America that produced it. This effort is the result of hundreds of hours of work um, of, our four, of our over 40 individuals and nearly $100,000 in crowdsourced funding. Our conclusion remains, we prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the deserved winner of the state of Georgia's presidential electoral votes in the 2020 general election is unknowable. Um, we also look forward to releasing similar reports for Wisconsin and Arizona in the coming months. So look, look, look for that, guys. Like we got all of this proof and evidence coming out. We have all of these moving forward. I wonder how all of this evidence is going to play into, um, you know, the uh, Supreme Court's decisions and the other court's decisions to throw out or to dismiss any of uh, President Trump and his team's uh, efforts to bring this evidence into the light and bring it into the jur jurisdictional process so this way it can be submitted as hard evidence and it cannot be ignored. It's going to be very interesting, guys, because we're going to see a lot of things, I have a feeling, in the coming weeks and months. Now, I also look for uh, the statement uh, by uh, Mr. Brower, Brainerd went on to say, I also look forward to this summer when our research group will turn its attention to identifying ineligible individuals in the voter database of states that have elections this year, including Louisiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. So we'll take a quick look at this Georgia report that was released. I'm going to go ahead and expand that all the way. Um, that was released by... Um, that was released by Look Ahead America and their team of researchers. Now, we're not going to read through all of this, obviously. It's a 22-page report, but I did want to bring out some of the finer um, notes, which is basically this... this uh, this outline right here, this um, bullet point. So this is what they were looking at uh, in regards to the illegal ballots. Let me see if I can't uh, maximize that a little bit more for you guys. Okay, so there were six tranches of illegal ballots in Georgia. It says we have identified six tranches of illegal ballots. Tranche one, early and absentee ballots cast in the names of voters registered illegally. Tranche two, um, early and absentee ballots cast in the names of voters, or E-A-B-C-I-N-V, what an acronym, matched to permanent 
out-of-state moves in the National Change of Address database. At the time we processed this match in mid-November, the, the database contained records as recent as October 1st, 2020, to as far back as three years prior, October 1, 2017, Tranche 3, the EABCINV, matched to out-of-state subsequent registrations using our national voter database. In these cases, the voter had registered in Georgia and matched to voters subsequently registered in another state. Now, I, I remember hearing a bit about that one. There was some scandal. I remember uh, Mr. W telling me over in Georgia where you had people who were moving in and it was like as long as they lived there for like a month, you know, then they could uh, go ahead and um, use that as a way to vote. But these guys backtracked them to where they live. So that's awesome. Good work, guys. Okay, uh, Tranche 4... Uh, election day ballots cast in the names of voters registered illegally. Uh, and then tranche five, the EDBCINV match to the NCOA and the OOSSR, <laughs> which is the, uh, the national voter database and the out of state subsequent registers, um, registrations. Uh, so they, they looked at that and then tranche six unmatchable invalid residencies among the EABCINV and the EBDCINV. God, these guys, the Georgia report made it very difficult to report this with all of those letters. And it says due to the limitations of time, budget, and the inability to access necessary government databases, the VIP could only analyze the first three tranches. So apparently they only analyzed the first three tranches, but they had enough to talk about and enough to say that there were 12,547 illegal votes included in Georgia's 2020 election results. Uh, the report is there. It is also online. If you want to take a look at it, um, you'll want to go to lookaheadamerica.org and they will get you more of the deets on that, I am sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. So that wraps up what we're talking about for um, the audits um, for Arizona, the one that's coming up in New Hampshire, and also what's going on in Georgia, just to keep us uh, up to date on what is going on in that regard. Now, guys, let's take our attention over to Houston in Houston, Texas, where we have reports uh, that as of this past Saturday during the weekend, um, an all-girls um, facility for unaccompanied minors in Houston, Texas was shut down. Um, they shut it down. And uh, let's see here. I think I have some images. Now, this is basically where they were being held. I know it looks like a warehouse, but guys, that's what it was. They were being held at a warehouse. Now, uh, the sources for this story come from the Houston Chronicle as well as Fox News. Um, this was called the... Um, Let's see here. The site was called the Emergency Intake Site for Unaccompanied Children, and it was being operated by the National Association of Christian Churches, or NACC. God, we got a lot of acronyms here in today's C-Report. Now, this center was closed, and again, it was housing all girls from the ages of 13 to 17, um, and they were housing between 450 and 500 girls. Um, now, as of this report, those girls have already been bussed out not well busted out right they were busted out no they were bust they were taken by bus as photoed here pictured here um to family members sponsors or other facilities so you know i'm kind of thinking if they had family members why were they there anyways i mean shouldn't those ones have been taken care of already and uh, in an interview I was listening to earlier, um, they said sponsors were not just like, you know, random people who wanted to sponsor the children, but they were, in essence, family members. Makes no sense to me, guys. I don't trust it. And then other facilities. Of course, we do have other facilities still open in Texas. We got Donna, Texas, Carrizo Springs, Texas. Uh, there was like... Two, uh, one other one that I don't remember, I think it was Perkins, Texas, and then also, of course, the San Antonio facility where they were housing all the boys or most of the boys. Um, important thing, uh, interesting to note, uh, this, this emergency intake site was a warehouse located near the George Bush Intercon Intercontinental Airport, guys. I cannot do layovers in Houston. I just cannot stand Houston. Um, but... That's not to say any of my good patriots over in Houston, but definitely at the airports over there when you're in between flights. But <laughs> I was like, you're, you're being housed at this warehouse near the George Bush Intercontinental Airport. It really it really brought home when I was saying that uh, they're warehousing all these children like 
these uh, these Democrat liberal, you know, uh, I, I like to refer to them as uh, bloodthirsty pagan baby eaters. Um, they're warehousing children. I mean, God. Anyway, so they closed down this. Let me get to the news report. They closed down this facility. It said the closure followed its reporting about crowding at the facility. So, of course, the media is already spinning. The, and, and I say spinning this as because it was overcrowded. But something else happened there on Friday night. A government employee, um, an adult staffer for the United States Department of Health and Human Services, died. Something happened. There was some, some, something happened. He died Friday, or that person died Friday night. Um, they say it was an incident that was unrelated to the transfer of the girls. Um, you had um, ambulances and fire departments out there at the facility that Friday evening. By Saturday morning, they were bussed out. Now, uh, this gentleman by the name of Cesar Espinosa, who is the director of advocacy group called F-I-E-L, Fiel Houston, told the AP, there seemed to be a lot of confusion as to what was happening. The people that were there looked like they were in a sad stance, kind of with their head down, and seemed like they were wiping tears away. Now, Espinosa told the AP that he toured the facility and found the girls to be living in... Pardon me? Ooh. I had some coconut oil, um, crowded conditions despite the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, he went on to say there was no social, there was really no space for social distancing. They were only allowed to get up, fr up from their cot to use the bathroom as well as to shower. He said everything that was brought in was temporary. The showers were temporary. They were bringing in temporary restrooms. So the space was not equipped to house anybody, much less children. Uh, now, a representative from um, Houston, Sylvia Garcia, told the Houston Chronicle that she had initial concerns about the facility when she first visited the facility. Um, and that included... Um, whether the organization, again, the NACC, the NACC being the National Association of Christian Churches, um, she had concerns that the National Association of Christian Churches had not brought in enough bathrooms, that there was no dining space, that a full kitchen, a full kitchen setup and staff, um, there was not enough of that, and whether or not that it would be um, able to appropriately isolate and quarantine anyone who experienced COVID-19 symptoms. Now, the president of the NACC, some guy by the name of Jose Ortega, okay, he's a pastor, a pastor by the name of Ho Jose Ortega, he went on to say everything was fine and that the girls were happy and that the move was unjustified. In fact, he even compared the move of these uh, these unaccompanied children as um, being like a bust by ice. Uh, that's what he compared it to. Now, um, Representative Pedo Jackson Lee... Uh, let me go ahead and get a picture of good old Pedo Jackson Lee on the screen. Now, we call her Pedo Jackson Lee here at the Sea Report because there you see that uh, nice little boy lover ring that she's wearing on her finger. We have all appropriate documentation right underneath her picture. Pedo Jackson Lee, the gun grabber from Houston, Texas, uh, in a statement to KTRK, says the, the closure was not related to the death of the HHS federal employee claiming a fatal health emergency was the only reason that there were ambulances there the night before. And let's go ahead and hear what else Pedo Jackson Lee had to say uh, in this uh, report out of uh, ABC 13. Let me blow her up for you. I mean, let me put that in context. Let me expand her picture for you. <laughs> All right, here's the report. I'm very glad that the National Association of Christian Churches uh, stood up and accepted the call. There's no other facility in this area. Uh, and HHS decided to contract with them for this three-week period. What happened is 130 of these kids, and this was uh, given to me uh, earlier today by HHS, were able to be reunited with their families. The other children are going to take a longer period of time. They found other beds in Carrizo Springs and other sites that had permanent beds with wraparound services. Okay. 
We don't need to see him. Okay, so that was Pedo Jackson Lee, uh, just talking it up. Now, of course, she's very thankful. You know, I think I think maybe we should do a little digging into the NACC, see where they're getting their funding from. I mean, they are a 501c3. Um, and this uh, this Ortega guy, Pastor Ortega, I wonder, I wonder what else he's involved in, this Pastor Ortega, because for someone who wears a boy lover ring, uh, to be so concerned about uh, these girls uh, underage, it just, it just, it reeks to me of just it let me get her off the screen it reeks to me of just i don't know it, it just it sounds bad guys i don't like i get a very big gitchy feeling with this woman and and especially with the girls being warehoused next to an airport and there's no telling where they're flying these kids out to i mean we don't I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we don't even know the real numbers of the kids who are moving in and out of these facilities like for all we know they're always housing 500 girls but are 500 girls always coming in and out? Are there more? We don't know people. And that's why this is such a harrowing tragedy that, that to have this many kids coming in. And, and I know that you guys have probably seen the reports and there are more and more video reports coming out of how these kids are being housed. There is this one where they're all like, just like touching this, like, you know, that plastic tarp glass that they're being held in. They're like squeezed together inside of these facilities. It's just disgusting. It's, it's inhumane. And I just, I hope these people are brought to justice. All right, guys. <coughs> So we're coming up on our final story for this afternoon. Again, thanks for hanging out. I know we're going a little bit long, but we had sound technical difficulties at the start of this episode. So, um, and this one is, I think, uh, I, I would say that this report is relatively important, y'all. I would say this report's relatively important. Now, uh, I, I, I took this graphic off ToriSays.com. I hope they don't mind over there. Um, they are building, or, well, actually, the graphic asks the question, why is the government trying to open a level four human animal bioresearch lab in the middle of our beef belt? Now, that's, that's something to be very concerned about. The, the reports of this level four BSL biosafety level four um, research lab is set to open this year and be fully operational by 2022. So let's take a real quick look at this. Um, uh, was, uh, there was some video provided in the report. Uh, now, the, the majority of this report comes from ToriSays.com, but um, I found this report that was actually um, filed in 2015 by RT. So let's take a real quick look at what they have to say in regards to this, because this is a huge story, guys. Like, we have a level four, and now in level four biosafety research labs on, on basically they're used for animals. If you guys are familiar with Plum Island, um, this is what we're talking about. There are no no vaccines, no cures for any of the pathogens that they're looking to put right in the middle of Tornado Alley in Kansas, in Manhattan, Kansas, guys. And this facility is built. It is set to open this year and it is set to be fully operational by 2022, guys. This is a huge story. And if you're in Kansas or <laughs> we just need to get the word out on this as quickly as possible, because can you imagine what kind of, of machination that they can pull off if this thing goes live and then they get flooded or hit by a tornado and right where we have our you know our cattle our dairy you know our dairy basket or or and also our bread basket like we're right where all the food is getting built uh created here in america so anyways let's listen to this report real quick on um rt that was produced plum island conspiracy lab moving to a populated area take a look real quick guys The Department of Homeland Security just broke ground on a new facility that sounds like it should be the location for a sci-fi movie. It's called the National Bio and Agro-Defense Facility, and it's due to be fully operational by 2022. And once it's fully operational, it could be very, very dangerous. You see, in 1954, the U.S. Agriculture Department established an animal disease research center on Plum Island so that they could study foot and mouth and other deadly animal diseases. They chose Plum Island because it sits off the far eastern end of Long Island, New York, in the Atlantic Ocean, where the prevailing winds blow toward the ocean. So if foot and mouth disease or any other airborne danger accidentally escaped from the lab, it would just blow over the ocean where it would cause no harm. Foot and mouth went airborne in the UK in 2001, and more than 6 million animals had to be slaughtered. That's about when Homeland took over the Plum Island lab. 
because biological threats had just gotten really real. So a remote island for the lab was a wise choice, especially as the lab also now works with zoonotic pathogens that can jump from animals to people. The last thing Homeland would need would be for one of those microbes to escape the lab on Plum Island, as it could cause a massive epidemic with catastrophic human casualties. Which is why it is so mind-boggling, scary, and dangerous that they just broke ground on the new National Bio and Agro Defense Facility. Because that facility is located on the Kansas State University campus in Manhattan, Kansas. And that facility is where Homeland is moving the Plum Island Lab. That puts it smack in the middle of cattle country, which means millions of animals will be living right around these deadly airborne pathogens. It also puts the lab smack in the middle of tornado country. If a tornado hits it, it could easily just knock the lab over and send all those pathogens, deadly to animals and humans alike, flying across the country. The new facility will include a biosafety level 4 lab, which means it will deal with deadly pathogens for which no vaccines or treatments exist. Not to mention the fact that there's already controversy about what the hell the government was up to on Plum Island. Some firmly believe that's where Lyme disease was accidentally created and released. So yeah, this new lab has sci-fi written all over it. But unfortunately, this isn't just some dumb movie. This is the Homeland Security in real life. And it's terrifying. I'm the resident. Tonight, let's talk about that. All right, so that was a real quick, um, I guess, intro to her report there at The Resident. Uh, I don't know. That's from 2015, guys, and they had just broken land in 2015. Now, com reports that the Obama administration and the 116th Congress and Senate through the Senate Agricultural Committee actually concealed this information and they sneakily hid it into the COVID-19 bill. Um, so you guys might remember uh, in December of 2020 um, when President Trump starts saying the money's going here and the money's going there and it's going to like uh, count the fish in the Gulf of Mexico and it's going to do uh, sex, uh, sex gender studies in Afghanistan and stuff like that. Well, that's where this was hidden, uh, snuck into. So that was part of that. Um, and uh, um, so it just, you know, you got to ask yourself why. Now, from my understanding from the article I had read, now, if they had tried to go ahead and sell Plum Island because they were trying to do that, um, uh, they were trying to do that um, uh, about within the last 10 years. Uh, I don't got a date on it, but uh, the people of, um, it was um, New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts were all very concerned about uh, Plum Island becoming a, a BSL-4 laboratory, but they weren't going to sell it. Now, if they had sold the island, uh, because I think Blumenthal was one who was like talking about doing that, it would have really brought to light what was going on at Plum Island. So it would have like made it public because, of course, they're going to sell it, and they're going to be like, well, who are you selling it to? And it's just going to be a public thing. So they went ahead and snuck all of this into the bill, you know, got signed. Now... Here's the reason why you'd really want to be concerned. Aside from what this woman just told you um, about, you know, it being in Tornado Alley and, and, and in that regard, um, the Wuhan lab in China is a BSL-4 laboratory. It's, uh, um, you know, and we all saw what happened when there was a little leak, right, from this BSL-4 laboratory. Again, that's a biosafety level four there are, are no known cures or vaccines from the pathogens that are kept inside of these types of facilities. Major cause for concern. So if something were to happen in Manhattan, Kansas, where a pathogen leaked out, you can only imagine what could happen to the United States population. And, and, and that's not just to say that we might get sick from pestilence. The animals could get sick. All the cows will die. We'll have a famine. You know, good old-fashioned famine, right? We'll have. We'll, we'll just need what war to finish up the uh, to finish up the riders of the apocalypse coming through the United States of America. So that's something to think about. That's very, very, very crucial. Now to put some context onto this again, um, we'll t we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Plum Island itself. So um, in the report from TorySays.com, it says over a decade ago, the people of New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts were concerned about Plum Island being a BSL-4 laboratory. The Plum Island Animal Disease Center operated as a biosafety level two laboratory. And then it 
was enhanced to a biosafety level three and animal biosafety level three and animal biosafety level three agricultural. So they're looking at experimenting on animals and, and, you know, the different things that could become infectious or toxic from that. Um, it says, it said in the article, Plum Island was riddled with toxic soil and waters, but Democrats and Republicans are claiming that it is an environmental sanctuary. And this is in spite of the fact that they do not allow any visitors to this island. You cannot go to this island. Uh, there was a report I had seen where this man had been trying to get in and they wouldn't let him. So he took to a helicopter and he did some dissecting of it. But let's take a look at, let me get this woman off the screen. Sorry, guys. Let's take a look at another video report. This one's a little shorter. It's about two minutes. Um, it's weird science. It's talking about the bio threat of this island. Let's take a look. Oops, wrong one. Right one. Island for 50 years has been the front line, what we call agro-defense, you know, protecting the U.S. livestock, protecting the animals, and doing the research on foot and mouth disease and these other foreign animal diseases that's critical that we can better understand what it takes to detect these diseases and prevent them from spreading. You can, you know, bring an economy to its knees by infecting its food supply. A 2.8 to 4.2 billion dollar impact to the economy. The NBAP is unique because Plum Island is the only facility of this type that does foreign animal diseases. And some of those zoonotic diseases we have no vaccines for. In fact, we barely know enough about these diseases. And to be able to study them effectively, we need a BSL-4 for what we call large animals or livestock. There is no existing facility like that in the country. based on the pathogens that we work on, which have high risk of life-threatening disease to humans. And some of the diseases that go from the animals to humans are, are, are devastating to humans. I mean, humans can die if we get those diseases. We need to protect the workers that are going to be working on those specific pathogens because there is no vaccine that they could take. There is no countermeasures. The risk of a foreign animal disease entering the country are only going to increase, such as the Nipah and Hendra virus. We've seen outbreaks you know, in Australia and in Asia, so we need to have that capability. Plum Island does not have proximity to research capabilities. It doesn't have proximity to workforce, no feasible evacuation. Anybody that's ever driven on the Long Island Expressway knows there'd be no way. The decision maker does not need to pick the site that has the least environmental impact. But he just needs to be aware of what those impacts are. All right, so very interesting report. It kind of starts to put into context some of what we're talking about here uh, and how dangerous this facility is to America and good-hearted Americans even even the bad-hearted Americans everywhere. We cannot have this. We cannot have this sitting in the center of our country. A BSL-4 laboratory where no known cures or anything like that. So just for a little bit more context, I'm going to share with you guys one more video where they actually had an investigative reporter uh, go into a meeting and start interviewing people. Now, when I saw this guy at a profile, I swear I thought it was David Knight. You guys are familiar with that name, no doubt. Um, but it wasn't him. Anyways, let me go ahead and pull that one up for you guys. And then uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up today's report. Okay, guys, so uh, here's a little bit more context about the concerns. Now, these, are, this, these again, are from the, the constituents, I believe, of New York, uh, because the, uh, Long Island is not far from Plum Island. Some of these people live within six miles of this facility. But again, it's isolated to an island, right? And um, we're seeing that uh, they want to put it right in the heartland of America. Like, what is wrong with these people? Why would they do such a thing? Why indeed, right? Why indeed? So let me get this guy queued up for you you and uh well let's see what he has to say the federal government is interested in having plum island which is right out there become the site 
for the most dangerous level of biological research. The Department of Homeland Security, which manages the island, is looking at us as the location for a new national bio and agro defense facility. This despite the problems for more than 50 years with the Plum Island Animal Disease Center already located on Plum Island. The new facility would operate at biosafety level four, the highest danger level for biological research. The way the federal government defines it, it involves research into diseases that affect both people and animals for which there are no vaccines or cures. The Department of Homeland Security is bullish about Plum Island as the site for the facility because there's not a lot of livestock hereabouts. On the other hand, Plum Island is smack in the middle of the population center of America between Boston and New York, just a mile off the northeastern end of Long Island. And there are plenty of people here. Department of Homeland Security is having a presentation on the making of Plum Island the site of the new National Bio and Agro Defense Facility. Ed Romaine is a Suffolk County legislator and his district includes uh, this part of Long Island. What do you think about uh, Plum Island being the site of this new biosafety level 4 facility? I have grave concerns. All you have to do is read the Department of Homeland Security's own words in its environmental impact statement, which said they will be working on diseases for which there is no known cure, no known therapy, no known vaccine, which, if released, could create potentially billions of dollars of damage in the livestock industry and obviously could impact the human population. Now, one of the reasons that apparently Homeland Security is favoring Plum Island for this facility is that if it puts it in North Carolina or these other locations, Texas, there's a lot of livestock around. I mean, here you don't see cows much on Long Island or even in southern Connecticut or something. You see a few in southern Rhode Island, but to put it in the heartland of America where there's so much in the way of animals could be a big risk, says Department of Homeland Security. Better an island off Long Island. Off Long Island that has millions of people where the North Fork is a funnel with only two east-west exits, Route 25 and County Road 48, with no really feasible evacuation plan. And while they give us every security, that uh, every hope that they will have perfect security, that everything will work well, and I'm sure that that, there's, that is the intention. However, as we all know, errors can happen, and the impact to Long Island and its population could be devastating. Now, you were through, as a Suffolk County legislator, the fight over the Shoreham nuclear power plant. And that was a real problem to try to uh, challenge the federal government on that. Suffolk County and New York State somehow uh, emerged victorious. But here you have security concerns, the Department of Homeland Security, which is probably more uh, oh, autocratic than the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, if that could be. How do you think you can be able to, to beat the Department of Homeland Security? I think that there's enough for us to do. First of all, it's more economical for them to build it somewhere else. It's much cheaper than building it on Plum Island if they choose one of the other five sites. Plus, which the other five sites, many of the, their local officials actually support that development at those locations. The majority of elected officials, Congressman Bishop, Steve Levy, our county executive, myself, the town supervisor of Southhold are in opposition of this because we feel it presents too grave of a risk that we don't want to expose our population to. And, it, you know, you weigh everything, the good versus the bad. And on this one, while we respect Department of Homeland Security, we're obviously going to express our concerns. Where's the evacuation plan? What are we going to do? Is there a plan if any of these pathogens escape? How are we going to deal with that? And I'd like to listen to that tonight, but I have to tell you, I start off with grave reservations. Director of the National proposed Bio. National Bio and Agro Defense Correct. Facility. What, what does that mean, being the program director? This thing doesn't even exist yet. Yeah, we, uh, when you normally you build a large federal facility, it takes uh, a lot of years of planning the site, such as doing uh, any uh, preconceptual study. So if you guys may have noticed, this man was in the previous video validating the reasons. Uh, he's the director of the place. 
He's citing an, an environmental analysis. And so while we don't have a facility, we, are, we do have a staff that goes through the planning process, the budgeting process, setting our requirements. So we do that now so we can be prepared to build in the future. Now, you read the Department of Homeland Security's environmental impact statement for this project, and it appears that the department is very bullish on Plum Island because it says uh, not much livestock in this area. This is on an island. There's a lot of water surrounding the island. In fact, there's a whole ocean uh, to the east. Uh, and some of these other sites, these five other finalists in this competition, are in agricultural areas of the United States. Do I got that right? Do I have that right? You do. And uh, when we started the process, we wanted to evaluate a range of reasonable alternatives. In fact, from the feedback we got, from folks from the mainland would maybe be considering an island, which is what we do in Plum Island. So certainly the water, as we say in EIS, adds a little bit of a buffer to uh, protect against any uh, releases. But um, no matter where we site it, we are going to apply a layered safety and security protocol, whether it's on the mainland or in Plum Island. On the other hand, this is going to be a biosafety level four facility, which means do research into diseases for which there are no vaccines or cures that affect both animals and people. And there's a lot of people that live on Long Island, along the coast in Connecticut. I mean, this is, this is really in the center of the Boston to New York megalopolis, the population center of America. Is this a place to put a biosafety level four facility? And that, that is uh, the question we're trying to address. I mean, we do our analysis based on, you know, what's the proximity to livestock. And we say that zoonotic diseases, which we do in a biosafety level four, are the diseases that go from uh, animal to human. They don't go from human to human, just animal to human. So uh, we try to, um, you know, build in those protective barriers. Now, there is precedent for putting biosafety level four in urban areas such as downtown Atlanta, where they work on very, you know, you know, severe uh, human pathogens in Atlanta, Winnipeg, and other Fort Detrick and other places. So there is precedent for putting it in an urban area. Now, the, Depart the environmental impact statement also says no matter where you put it, no matter what you do, accidents will happen. Do I have that correct? Yeah, we, uh, we evaluate for the probability of accidents, and in no facility it's foolproof. I mean, So they want to put it right where all the tornadoes go through and Dorothy got swept away. Mm-hmm. We, we carry some degree of risk. EIS concludes, and we believe in it, if it's right, that the probability of accident is extremely low at this facility, no matter where it's sited. The consequences would, would, would be different for some plumb line versus the mainland because we have a little more protection, but very, very low probability of accidents. Yeah, I mean, before the Chernobyl nuclear plant accident, the Soviets said there's a very low probability every 10,000 years we'd have a serious accident. Right. So you got to wonder when somebody says extremely low. And the other issue, which I think is in a lot of people's minds now, involves oh, a problem it's beyond human error, a problem from within. The Fort Detrick scientist who turned out to have been involved with anthrax and spreading anthrax and killing people. I mean, if something of that sort occurs here, and again, we're at biosafety level four involving the most serious diseases affecting animals and people in which there's no cures and no vaccines. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this, a, why not put it underground somewhere in the middle of America, heavily guarded, so no livestock or no people would be affected if there is an outbreak. That's something we would consider, actually, no matter where, where we cited at, what, what type of security protection we would need. That would come with a site-specific security plan, whether we need a burn or put it underground. Um, certainly, we're following the situation at Fort Detrick, and certainly we're actually going to be involved in watching what the lessons learned that come out of that to see what we can apply. And we'll say, not just because of Fort Detrick, we're constantly reviewing our security procedures to see, you know, how they can be, uh, you know, improved and enhanced and so on and so forth. We feel with Plum Island, very safe. People have to shower out. You know, they cannot carry anything out with them. So we feel like we've got a very safe facility in place. And again, no matter what you do, there are possibilities in the Government Accountability Office raise the possibility of terrorism. I mean, here's an island, the, the ferry that goes between New London and Orient Point, it goes right along that island. I mean, you could see people fishing on boats right, right next to the island. Right. I mean, security seems to be, to put it politely, quite questionable. The GAO was concerned, very concerned, that this exposed island right here, just off Long Island, just to the south of Connecticut, could be successfully hit by terrorists, and they would release, uh, and this is at the Animal Disease Center, they would release 
animal disease agents, but here you go to, to this. The consequences of a terrorist attack would be enormous. Right. In that light, is this a good place to put this? Well, I think the, that's part of what we would be doing. It's part of our siting process. We would um, evaluate what potential uh, security threats are, are evident, you know, whether it's the scenario you lined out in Plum Island or any of the site-specific uh, security and what we need to do to mitigate against those threats. I mean, that's what we need to do, understand what the security threats are and how we would mitigate that if that site were chosen. You think about Plum Island being the site of this proposed facility. I think it's uh, too ambitious a, uh, uh, an effort to have number four come to Plum Island. I don't think they're prepared for it. And Biosafety level four are diseases that affect both animals and, and people for which there's no cure or vaccine, which, I mean, in Greenport, where you live, you're going to be, well, you're just going to be about... A mile and a half from Plum Island. Well, I think a little, little, a little more than a mile and a half. I think about six or seven, but uh, that's still pretty close. Well, I, I just think that it's a, an ambitious uh, project, but I don't think that Plum Island is uh, up to it. Do you think the people are going to be heard tonight? And, I recall that you, Mary Ella, have experience with the federal government that, in fact, you worked in the White House during the New Deal. Mm -hmm. Here we are in a new century. Uh, new Deal was well, well known for trying to, uh, to listen to people. Mm -hmm. Do you think the federal government today, as, as you observe it, listens to people like it used to back in those days? No, I think they're a little deaf. Why? Well, I don't know why, but I mean, uh, uh, we're having a trouble with uh, uh, Mr. Uh, President, and uh, he doesn't seem to want to listen to anything. He's made up his mind and makes his announcements, and uh, then we're supposed to accept them. Do you think that, that will play out with this Plum Island decision by the Bush administration? I don't know. He only has a few months more, so we're all getting very nervous. On the other hand, this decision is supposed to be made That's before right. the Bush administration is out. That is correct, and so we're, we're concerned as to what kind of a decision he would make. And I'm, I'm, uh, I love the number four because it's the perfect number, but I don't think it should be coming to Plum Island. Debbie O'Kane, you've long been involved with Plum Island issues. You're a former executive director of the North Fork Environmental Council. That's correct. What's your view on... Plum Island being the location for this biosafety level four facility? Well, I believe that there are still many, many unanswered questions, and we have been, we've had very strong opposition to this um, upgrade since actually 1999. I mean, this isn't a new issue out here. It's been an issue since 1999 when uh, a story first broke in the New York Times, and since then, um, the issue has been raised a number of times, and each time we get a strong showing of the public saying that this is not something that they really are in favor of. I mean, there's been quite a number of um, safety and security issues along with environmental issues for many years. And um, once again, a lot of those questions are not answered, haven't been answered over the years. And um, with our elected officials who are also in strong opposition of this, we feel that um, the biosafety level four is not the um, is not the thing for for the east end of Long Island and for Plum Island. All right, and I'll go ahead and end it there, guys. Let me go ahead and shrink for you. So, I mean, what do you what do y'all think about that? Like I said, this was snuck into the COVID nineteen bill. They obviously couldn't sell it because it would be a public disclosure, and then everyone would, everyone would see exactly what they did on Plum Island uh, and what kind of experiments. But we're talking about human to animal pathogens. And in the very heartland of America, you know, it's like our beef belt, as uh, as they uh, called it in the Tory Says article. So, I mean, that's very, this is just, this is a lot to think about. Like this woman said here, whenever this issue came up as far back as 1999, there was a public outcrying that this should not be the place. And that's when they wanted to make Plum Island go from 
a level three to a level four. And the people of the Northeast said no. So I think it, now is the time, guys, especially now more so than ever, because this facility has been built and it is set to open later this year and be fully operational in Manhattan, Kansas. And don't forget, this is the same type of lab that the Wuhan lab is over in Wuhan, China, where we got our Kung flu coronavirus, uh, China virus, you know. So when we see exactly what happened in, in China, in Wuhan, and with the type of laboratory, went a little leak supposedly from some wet market and some dingbat, you know, spread coronavirus to all of us. And then we ended up with muzzle masks and all of this other persecution, opposition, oppression that we're dealing with. Do we really want something like this in America, America? I know I don't. So uh, most definitely a very, very, a very, very pressing and imperative article. Again, um, you know, you can... Check out the article if you'd like over at torysis.com. There's a lot more in this article. The article goes on to talk about how the Obama administration actually, in, in his time in office, experimented on the people of Utah. And then it also draws further connections to how this lab in the heart of our American agricultural zone... Um, could be connected to famine, to mass pestilence, wiping out middle America, you know, and beyond. And then also uh, goes on to talk about how the creation and manufacturing of bioweapons may take place in such facilities um, in America. And this is going to be in the heartland of America, guys, in the heartland of America. So definitely, if you're interested, I'd say take a look at that article. There's a lot of meat in this article to digest, uh, no pun intended. But um, that is the case. And, and I just thought, you know, uh, aside from this article, uh, there was only that RT art, uh, report that I had shown you at the head of it that really addressed this major concern of having a BSL biosafety level four lab in the heartland of America where it could definitely succumb to any type of natural disaster, including tornadoes and floods. I mean, come on. Why are you going to build a place like this in the place where Dorothy came from? I mean, come on. Everyone knows that you're going to get blown away by a tornado in Kansas and, and anywhere up and down. But I mean, I guess it's kind of the same thing as how a lot of our, if not, if not all of our nuclear uh, facilities are on fault lines in America. I don't know what these people are thinking, America. It may makes me crazy. Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to the Sea Report for Wednesday, April 21st. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure you check us out tonight. Q&A holes will be live at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Again, if you are enjoying our programming here at Q&A Holes um, Network, um, do visit our website, qnaholespodcast.com. Um, you can also support us by going to our Patreon um, uh, members of our Patreon have access to our Discord uh, and we just we just post a lot of articles and have a good time and it's a very small familial community um, growing as it is but you know if you're interested check it out um, alright that's all I got for you guys today this is Mr. C for the C Report signing out and I'll see you later on tonight and we'll be back tomorrow at the same place same time 4pm Central 5pm Eastern live on the Foxhole app and other such stations. Have a great afternoon, guys. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.